think most people treat a presentation as if it is a lecture. You should actually treat a presentation as if it is a comic book or a movie. What I mean by that, comic book or movie has a story to it. A story has illustrations to it. What most people do is the slides are either competing with you or they're your scripts. Presenters who are really going well, the slides are more like a beautiful backdrop. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Brands at Book Show, where we help creative service-based businesses build their brands and find more clients. I'm your host, Davey Jones. Today, I'm joined by speaking coach Mike Pacione. Mike has flown around the world teaching people how to give presentations, and he's worked with some pretty big names, as he puts it. While he's not at liberty to discuss every company that he's worked with, if you've used a computer, phone, or search engine today, you're probably familiar with one of his clients. I hired Mike to help me get ready for my United 2019 keynote presentation. And although I feel comfortable speaking in front of people, I wanted some help continuing to develop that craft. So I chat a little bit more about that in these episodes. This is actually part one of a two-part episode. This episode was recorded prior to my keynote and we discuss some general advice for giving presentation, Mike critiques a past presentation of mine, and of course, we get to hear a little bit of Mike's story. The second of this two-part episode was recorded after my keynote and reflects on my experience working with Mike. He gives me some feedback on how I did, and I hope that this behind the scenes is helpful to you the next time you're crafting a presentation for a group of people. If you're interested in watching the keynote I presented at United, which was titled, The Only Two Questions You Need to Answer to Win Business, and How to Answer Them on Your Website, check out the show notes at DaveyandKrista.com. Now, on to the episode. Mike Pacione, welcome to the Brands That Book Podcast. I am pumped to have you here. You are kind of a big deal. (laughs) Emphasis on kind of. (laughs) Well, you know, it's my favorite kind of big deal because you don't come off that way, right? You just super, super easy guy to talk to, but you've worked with some huge names. Yeah. And that I was unaware of before reaching out to you. So just to give our listeners a little bit of background, I, I know I- like a subtle way of saying like, Mike, you need to communicate better who you work with. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, it's funny. And we're going to get into this and how I found you in a second. So we can kind of talk about why I wasn't aware of that before yeah. I had reached out or when I reached out. But you are a speech coach. 
help people give the best presentation of their life. And I have recently hired Mike to help me with a keynote that I'm working on that I'm going to give in early November. So we're kind of in the pits of working on that. And we're going to talk a little bit about that process too, uh, which I'm excited to share about getting a little vulnerable as well with where I'm at and uh, some of the feedback that Mike has given me on past presentations as well. But Mike, how about you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and kind of how you got started as a speech coach? Yeah. God smiled on me is the the short version, but the longer (laughs) version is, you know, there's that stat about public speaking is the number one fear. I don't think it's actually number one. And I would question the validity of it anyway, because like, I don't know, this is what I always say to friends. It's like nobody with like a gun pointed at their head is like, (laughs) oh, At least I'm not giving the Q3 update right now. (laughs) I never had that when I was, I mean, I'm going back to elementary school. I loved show and tell. I loved every Wednesday we did a current events speech. I loved it. Other people were up there and this is when you had actual newspaper clippings. People would read the newspaper clippings and I was like, why in the world would you read the news? I had no idea that people were scared of this. Right. So I'm like, why would you? read the newspaper clippings. Like, why wouldn't you just summarize it? Later on, I realized that people don't like speaking and I'm a little weird that way. It was always a skill I took with me, middle school, high school. When I was in high school, they had to change the rules of your, like I wound up being school vice president. It was mostly because I gave like this great speech and the next year they changed the rules of the speech. Anyway, I took it with me wherever I was. I never knew it was something you could do for a job. And my life changed when I was, I had gone to graduate school at Portland State. I was teaching a college class. I always wanted to be a professor. When I got into grad school, I like, it was pretty quick to realize like, oh, being a professor is mostly not about teaching. Yeah. So that was troublesome because the teaching part is what I liked. Grading, total nightmare. Meetings. (laughs) meetings have always been a weakness of mine. So it was like one of those three things is what I got to do. And I got, and that was like 20% of the job anyway, long way to say. So I was stuck in terms of career adjunct into payoff grad school. I had a guy who came up to me during a break. He said, Mike, I'm not actually in your class, which first of all, if you're the teacher, like you should notice when someone (laughs) not in class shows up, but I didn't. Uh, The guy comes up and he's like, Hey, I'm not actually in your class. My girlfriend is, I thought I'd come with her. She said it's a good class. And I actually work at Nike. I'm in charge of bringing in presenters to speak on campus. You seem like a pretty compelling speaker. Would you want to come in sometime? So, I mean, sweet mercy. Like, we're talking someone at a total career impasse. What I always thought I wanted to do, I couldn't do. Like, I didn't like doing. Yeah. I'm biding time. I'm just like trying to pay off school. Long way to say, I said yes to that guy pretty quickly. And at this point, I don't know if they're going to pay me $10,000, if it's free, what it is. Then they start asking me for a topic. But like, here's the problem. I don't have a topic. So here's how arbitrary my success is. Or at least here's how arbitrary my lucky break is. I don't have a topic. They're like, you can talk about anything. What do you want to talk about? I don't know. I call one of my friends from college. Like, this is where I'm indecisive. And I don't know what to do. And it would be easier for me if someone else could just do it for me. So I called one of my friends from college. My buddy, John Ranahan is like, well, you know what you should talk about is, well, this is what I heard him say. I heard him say, you should talk about the tower of story. I don't know what that is. I'm picturing <laughs> like a college textbook that says like figure three, one, the tower of story. But he said it with such conviction that I'm like, all right, cool. Like I'll figure it out. The tower of story. So I get on the phone with the Nike people. I'm like, yeah, I've got a great topic. I want to talk about the tower of story. 
<laughs> I'll never forget this until my memory goes. The guy on the other end is like, that's a great topic. The power of story. Story is very powerful. He's like really pronouncing the P's. I'm yeah. Like, oh my God. Like John said, power, not tower. <laughs> Get off the phone with the Nike people. I'm like, oh my gosh. And like, thank heavens it was over the phone and not face to face. Face to face, they would have seen I was saying tower, not power. Anyway, put together a talk for Nike. The talk is good ish. I was a little bit intimidated by the audience, I was a little intimidated by the moment. But I think that's kind of what separates you, right? Is because most people, I think certainly myself included, would have been very intimidated by the audience. Mm. Even by, I think it's harder too, and maybe a little bit of why I'm struggling with this keynote is when you can speak about whatever you want. Yes. You know, I mean, I think that's difficult to do as well. Yeah. It's like Halloween every year. Like, what should I be? And I once went to a party one year for Halloween. This party was dressed to a T. So your costume had to start with the letter T. I had a million ideas, but Halloween, you can do whatever you want. I have no ideas. Yeah. And it's just too many options. And then it's like, at least when you're teaching, you generally have some sort of curriculum that you're supposed to be following. And yeah. that might be a little open-ended, but there's generally some sort of objective. But when the topic is anything, it's like you're coming up with the objectives too. And I think that's super challenging for people. I don't want to get us off track either. I am at least a little bit curious, admittedly, on why they had to change the rules for you when you were back in high school. Oh, I made a lot of jokes. And <laughs> so we, what I'm hearing is that maybe it was more of a stand-up routine. Than... <laughs> yeah. Well, and in hindsight, gosh, I can't believe I did this. So I'm in high school. This is like 1995. The internet is just now a thing. And we had just had our principal hired. He's this young guy. Like he's in his 30s. Maybe he's 40. Mm -hmm. And like my whole life, I've got the classic like 75-year-old white guy as the principal. This guy comes in. He's like 36 probably. He's talking about the internet. Nobody knew what the internet was. So then maybe three weeks later, I'm running for school vice president. I get up, first words out of my mouth. I'm like, I'd like to start by talking about the internet. And I'm like, <laughs> just kidding. And the whole school knows that I'm digging at the principal. Yeah. What am I doing? So from then on out, you had to get your speech approved. Sure. <laughs> um, I now I was 17. Yeah, yeah. It's funny too that you wanted to go into education. That's because like... I always felt like school could be more interesting than it was. Sure. And that's like part of, like truthfully, that is one of the things that I try to help people with when I'm helping them speak. Because most people that I help, like it's really rare where I come up with the idea for them. Mm -hmm. It's usually they have the idea in their head and they need help trying to smooth it out, make the message clear, make it digestible for the audience, make it memorable. Like those are the things I'm usually helping people with. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a lot of the reason why I've come to you for help. I went to Mike for help. One, I think I found you through a convert kit because you are the official speech coach, right? For yes. the convert kit conference that they put on. So you work with their speakers before that conference or anybody who wants help that's speaking at that conference. So yeah. I came across your name in a, in a blog post and I clicked on a link. It brought me to your website, but it wasn't your current website. It was like an old website. Yeah, it Which, was. So I worked for a company called Duarte for a number of years. I flew all over the world helping people. Like I taught, I gave a presentation on how to get presentations. Very meta. <laughs> I had just a filler website that Nathan linked to. So yeah. Um, and so, and I, this is why I missed the part of the story that we're kind of at right now, which is, you know, I mean, you've talked to some of the biggest names, some of the biggest companies out there, Apple, Slack, Miller's Coors, Google, Starbucks, 
uh, that list goes on. You've talked or you've helped Amy Porterfield, Scott Hamilton is gold medalist, Pat Flynn. I mean, all sorts of people in the digital marketing world that I'm sure people would also recognize. So I missed all of that. You know, that was all, you know, I already knew that you'd be legit because otherwise Nathan Berry wouldn't have blogged about you, but I had missed all of this. And, and to be honest, I don't know if I knew that. I'm not quite sure I would have ever even reached out because I would have felt like it's like, you know, it would be like me trying to go to LeBron James's coach to yeah, help yeah. me with basketball, you know? Yeah. So I think I would have just been, so in a way, I'm kind of glad I didn't know any of that before <laughs> jumping on the phone with you. But, you know, like I said, I mean, it's awesome. You've been great to work with, but there is, you know, for me, some of that intimidation where I'm like, you know, this guy... This guy's worked with Donald Miller. Now he's yeah. like going through going through my presentation, you know? So Wait, I mean, here's the thing. I end up learning so much from different people about all this stuff. I mean, I'm a lifelong learner. I don't feel like I have all the answers and maybe I should pretend I do. But anyway, yeah, like, sure. I learned from Don. I learned from James Clear. I learned from Amy Porterfield. Like I learned from all those people. But my favorite thing in the world is when there's someone like you who has great ideas and the way that they've presented them in the past has been fine, but it just hasn't been the best they can do. Mm -hmm. Like that is my favorite thing in the world. Well, I'm glad to hear that because, and like I said, that's a lot of the reason why I came to you. And I think specifically when we're having those initial conversations and I was talking about what I wanted to get out of this experience was basically, you know, I think that there is a distinction between somebody who can get up in front of a group of people and present and be relatively dynamic, just kind of naturally, but then somebody who's really kind of worked on that message and refined their craft, yeah. you know? And so that's really where I'm hoping to get to. And that's what you've been helping me with so far. And so that process has been really fun and really hard in a lot of ways. It's forced me to get a little bit more prepared a lot earlier than usually I prepare. And that's good. That kind of accountability has been good, even though it has resulted in some serious moments of anguish. <laughs> but like that's, dude, you're at the part right now that most people never get to, which is the part where you hate the talk. Uh, maybe people do get to that, but you're at the part where like you just need to push through this because on the other end of it is the brilliant part. And, you know, I, during some of this inner conflict, I was talking with Krista about that. And she basically said that she's like, Davey, listen, like, so you came up with this talk and it's decent, but, and this is likely about the version that you would end up giving totally. had you not been working with Mike. And so yeah. think about how much better this is going to be now that you're working with Mike and you're getting his feedback. And we're still about a month out from the conference with plenty of time to refine it and rehearse. So I'm really excited about that. And I'm excited to dig into, you know, dig into some tips that you have for putting together presentations and delivering presentations. I do want to hear though, I because I kind of cut off, I just had to hear about the high school story. <laughs> so I do want to hear about your transition from working for, and I, I'm going to butcher the name here, Duarte. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why that's so difficult for me. So your transition from there into doing your own thing, into uh, helping people more on a one-on-one -on -one basis. Yeah. Well, that's always been my favorite thing in the world is one-on-one. -on -one. Even when I was working at Duarte, and Duarte was a fantastic job, like probably the best corporate job I will ever have. Like it would be hard to top that. But well, it was time for a couple of different reasons. It was time for me professionally. And it was time because we had our first child in June. I was getting on a plane. I was spending about a hundred nights a year in hotels. And I don't know, that works for some people when they have a child, but it wasn't gonna work for me. Sure. I had a distinct moment I don't know if you care about this, but I'm apparently going to tell you. I had a distinct moment where I had helped a speaker in Dallas 
So one of the things that I do is I'll spend a full day with someone, full day VIP day. I'd helped a woman full day in Dallas on Monday. So left Sunday, uh, helped her all day Monday. Tuesday, Wednesday, did full day workshops for a company still in Dallas. It was one of those like, finish the workshop, like hop in the rental car. I should be able to make the flight as long as there's no problems with traffic. Return the rental car. I'm on the bus that takes you between the rental car place and the airport. And I'm like, okay, I should make it. I should make it. There's a lot of should. Make my flight. Dallas to Seattle, Seattle to Portland. Walk in the front door at like one in the morning. I should be so spent right now. I woke up at about four in the morning. So that's three hours of sleep. And I'm like super stressed out. But it was all stuff about work. And I had this moment where I'm like, what am I doing? This is my only chance to be a first time father. And I'm sitting here worried about like, this guy didn't email me back. Why doesn't he ever email me back? What am I doing? I was always moving in the direction of uh, helping people one-on-one and making that my big employment. I'd always done that on the side. That always been the funnest thing for me. And now that I have a child, it's also just, it's challenging because you're like taking phone calls outside because Mm -hmm. he's asleep and stuff. But it is just the very best thing for our family. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a lot of people that can resonate with that. And, you know, working from home definitely has its challenges. Like you said, you know, some of our conversations I've taken outside because it's nap time and you can hear everything in this house, but it is a huge blessing to get that extra time with Jack on a daily basis. So I think a lot of what you're saying, uh, you know, is going to resonate with people. And even what you were saying about teaching as well. I mean, my background is in teaching and coaching, and I love both those things. And if only those jobs were actually more teaching and coaching and less all of the other stuff, then perhaps I'd still be a yeah. teacher and a coach. But you'd be happily making $36,000 a year. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. You know, <laughs> I think it'd be hard to go back to that. But yeah. And I do want to start transitioning to more of the content for today. I do want to mention that you have, and I'm going to mention this. I would usually mention this at the end of the podcast. I want to mention it now because. This was, I think, very striking for Krista. She listened to your podcast that you did on typology. And I hadn't heard of typology until I listened to your, it's a two-part podcast, actually. And you talked about speaking or presenting based on the different Enneagram numbers, right? And Krista, she's the same uh, Enneagram number as your wife, I think, as well. So number one, right? Is that right? Yeah. Yep. And she had always kind of told herself the story that she you know, just based on her personality type, isn't a good speaker, you know, or couldn't be like a dynamic speaker. And so listening to that podcast, I think was really eye-opening for her and kind of got her excited about maybe exploring that a little bit more. So, you know, after you're done listening to this episode, you should head on over to Typology and check out this other episode. I just thought it was excellent. And you have some other great podcast episodes out there. The one with StoryBrand or Donald Miller's podcast, StoryBrand was also great. But I do want to Again, move into the content for today. And I want to start by asking, who are your favorite speakers or speeches? And kind of what is striking about those either speeches or speakers? Yeah. My favorite speaker in the world is Andy Stanley. Those of you who are Enneagram people, he's a one, which is what your wife is, which is what my wife is. So and I think F- that was so eye-opening. You know, because yeah. Gandhi was a one too, right? I would think so. Or that's what, yeah. I mean, that's what kind of people project on him, I guess. Yeah. I would think he was a one. Andy Stanley is my favorite speaker in the world. A few reasons why. He boils everything down to one point. He uses illustrations just wonderfully. Illustrations and stories. One of my favorite sermons I ever heard. In fact, this was probably my favorite. He was talking about making changes in your life. But his way of framing it is he talked about renovating yourself. Mm. He said, okay, well, 
what happens when you're like renovating your kitchen? There's a point where they've been doing construction for so long. You're like, screw this. I hate this. But because it's a physical product, you can't just like reverse and put it back. Like you have to keep going. This is actually where you are in your talk right now. Yes, that would be <laughs> when it, just completely demolished kitchen. That's totally, where I, yeah. yes. I think that's yeah. a pretty good assessment of where I am in my, in my yeah. talk right now. Because it's a speech, like you could just stop right now and give that talk. But there's no way you would keep going if that was your kitchen. Sure. That was the illustration he made. I mean, his wasn't about speeches. It was about like the condition of your soul and your behavior and stuff. But yeah. I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah, you're right. Like this thing I'm working on, I have to keep working on it until it's actually renovated. So Andy Stanley regularly comes up with illustrations like that that are fantastic. Let me give three of my favorite speeches though, like things people can actually watch online. Yeah, absolutely. So one of them is Amy Webb's TED Talk. It's so funny. Amy Webb, the talk is called uh, How I Hacked Computer Dating. How I, okay, Amy Webb. So she's a data person. Data speeches are usually so boring. What Amy did really well is she used data to help tell her story. And she used suspense in the way that she shared data. So, you know, my wife loves all these CSI, NCIS, Criminal Minds type shows. And there's always this moment where they call the, on NCIS, I think her name is Polly. She's got like the purple hair. Yeah. Like she's cool. She's real, you know, quirky. And she's like, okay, well, I started with this data set and then I cross reference with this and da 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 da. And the killer is in Baltimore, right? Like yeah. that's. Like that's, so Amy Webb basically does that with computer dating. She says there are, she's living in Philadelphia at the time. She's like, there are this many people in Philadelphia. I wanted this trait, this trait, this trait, this trait. I realized there were 35 people in the whole city of Philadelphia I could possibly marry. <laughs> it's so funny. It's like the perfect setup. So Amy Webb, love her talk. Scott Harrison, the founder of Charity Water. His Charity Water presentation is wonderful. And Seth Godin is just one of the greatest speakers out there. Yeah. Seth Godin, he was actually, so he's one of the few emails that I subscribe to and will read every single day. But it just even along the lines of talking about, you know, writing this presentation, something that I found encouraging from him recently, and this is sort of a sidebar here, but he talked about writer's block and how maybe on some sense, or on some level, it doesn't really exist because, you know, the people who say that they're not good at writing, you know, they've never started yep. writing. You know, you have to go through a tons mm -hmm. and tons of bad writing to get to the good stuff was ultimately the point he was trying to make. So I found some encouragement in Seth Godin recently. But did he give a TED Talk? He did give a TED Talk. The one that I love, is, so he's one at Craft and Commerce, the okay. ConvertKit conference, which by the way, I did not help him with that. And he's like one of the few people where I feel like if he wanted my help, I'd say, uh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> if, you, if you're sure. <laughs> that talk is tremendous. The story at the very end is just the greatest ending to a talk. I mean, outside of Martin Luther King or something like that, like for a business presentation, it is just the greatest thing. And what was the gist of that ending or what did he do during that ending that made it so striking? Yeah. So first of all, most people run out of gas at the ending. So the ending of most talks is, oh, and that's my last slide. Or so go take photographs and charge more. You know what I mean? Like it's, mm -hmm. There's no energy to it. So he ends, one of the things that I try to encourage people to do, it doesn't have to be a story, but it needs to end with energy. He tells this story of his plane having to make an emergency landing, him calculating that, yeah, I think that it doesn't matter, but I think they landed in Albany and they're trying to get to White Plains, New York. He calculates that it will be faster for him to just rent a car 
and drive to White Plains versus trying to wait out the delay. So he stands up at the front of the plane. He says, I got the last rental car. Anybody can come with me. It'll be faster. And nobody takes him up on it. And he said he had the whole, the entire, I think, hour and a half drive between those two places to try to figure out why nobody took him up on it. He said, and I finally realized, because if they stay on the plane, anything bad that happens, it's United Airlines' fault. If they go with me, they made that choice. This is most people would rather let someone else make the choice. So interesting. Looping that back in, ironically, that's <laughs> that's what I did on my talk at Nike. I would rather have someone else make the choice. But yeah, sure. so that ending was just like, mm, and that's the last speech at the conference. And that is the perfect way to go out. Yeah. And is there something between the th- these three speakers? Because I imagine that and I don't know as much. I don't think I've heard Scott Harrison before. Don't know as much about Amy Webb, but I've heard, and it might have been you that brought this up, this presentation up before. Are there any things among these three presentations that make each of them striking? Like, do they share yeah. any uh, characteristics? Or yeah, I think there are a couple of things, and it's interesting because they're really, really different talks. Like, one is about computer dating. One is about the world water crisis. One is a business presentation. But what all those presenters do, like number one, they bring a lot of energy to the presentation. It's a lot easier to do that when your content is good. But regardless, bringing energy to the presentation is crucial. Mm. Like your audience will not, if you don't have energy and you don't seem like you care that much about the presentation, or if you don't seem like you believe it, why in the world would the audience do that? So they all bring energy to it. But the second thing that jumps to mind when you say that, they all use tension really well. And can you explain, what does that look like? So the easiest way to understand that is actually through stand-up comedy, which I, I mean, frankly, those are like the best presenters out there. Mm-hmm. So working backwards, a joke ends in a punchline. A punchline is tension being released. The buildup is the tension. I think that was a really helpful analogy for me uh, because you've actually given me some feedback yeah. on a presentation that I gave at Show It United last year. Um, and I'll actually post this pre- or a link to this presentation in the show notes and you can see the video version of this. And so I asked Mike to give me some feedback on that just based on a, a presentation that I've previously done. And that's one of the pieces of feedback you gave me was basically don't give the punchline before yeah. the joke, you know? And so I'm not building up that tension, you know, before delivering, I guess, whatever the point is, you know? And so uh, like Amy Webb does in her presentation by at the end wrapping up with, and I concluded that there's 35 people and in wherever yeah. that I can marry, yeah. right? So I thought that was really helpful. And so just to get an idea of what Mike is talking about, go and watch that presentation. Yeah, and like, okay, so you had some studies in that presentation that were surprising. Yes. So like, what's one of those? So one of them was the mere measurement effect. And I was talking about how if you were asked, I'm trying to remember this off the top of my head, but it was something along the lines of basically just by being asked about future intentions made it more likely that you would actually take that action. And so I think it was uh, in the context of purchasing a car, people were asked if they were going to purchase a car in the next year, were 35% more likely to actually purchase a car. And again, I'll post this in the, you'll be able to see this in the show notes. So if I've just butchered that study there, hit that up for some clarity. But that was one of the things that I had mentioned. And it was in the context of questions that I asked people during client consult, or I used to, you know, when we were shooting weddings, I would ask people, when would you want to schedule your engagement session? And this was before they ever booked us. Yeah. But by asking them that question, they started, you know, sort of imagining their engagement session with us. Oh, so we were thinking this date and we're thinking about doing it here. And we'd be able to say, oh, wouldn't it be great to do, you know, X, Y, Z. So by the end of it, we've planned their session and we've just found that, you know, all of a sudden people are way more likely to book us. In a talk, the way to actually do that is to say, so 
Chris and I last year realized that there was a way to bump our book rate by 35%. So you're probably thinking right now it's like Facebook ads or it's Instagram ads or it's a coupon, I don't know, whatever those wrong answers are. Do you know what it actually was? It was by asking one extra question. So now there's like suspense building around it. Like, ooh, ooh. like people leaning in like, ooh, what was that question? Yeah. I forget what the question was. But. Yeah, it was when do you want to schedule your engagement session? But yeah, and you know, it's so funny. It's always hard hearing feedback like that because I wish I could go back in time. <laughs> totally. Because you know, I thought, it, like you said, I thought it was a decent presentation, but you know, there's just a few small levers that I think I could have switched, right, to make it that much better and maybe that much more memorable for people. To be clear, it was a decent presentation, but we're trying to deliver one that like sticks with the audience, is memorable, it's the best speech of your life. You get like a thunderous applause walking off. That's the difference. And yeah. that speaks to the value of doing more than one draft, frankly. Mm-hmm. The first time you think through something, like of course you think in that linear fashion. Okay, I'm going to talk about this study. I'm going to talk about this study. I'm going to talk about this study. Unless you've trained yourself to say, okay, I'm going to talk about this study, but I'm going to talk about it this other way. Why wouldn't you present it the way that you presented it at that conference? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, all that inner turmoil had, I did that like a couple days before the conference. Not that I wasn't thinking about it, you know, for months leading up to the conference, but actually going through the steps that you're having me go through so much earlier. So what are some, you know, common mistakes? And I can guess some of these because we've chatted about not only feedback from talks that I've given in the past, but just in general. But what are some of the common mistakes that you see presenters make? Yeah. So let me say that I want to move beyond the obvious ones. If you look at any Inc.com, Fast Company, Forbes type article on this, they're all going to be like, didn't think about the audience too much on the slide. And those things are accurate and they're true. But I just want to give stuff that's a bit more advanced than that. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Okay. So one that jumps to mind, and I'm going to make sure that you do this. If you're talking at a conference, like think about what it's like going to a conference. You're there for at least one day. Most conferences are more than one day. So you're gonna see several different speakers. You're gonna leave that conference, you're gonna get in your car or you're gonna fly home and you're gonna have all these different ideas. So thinking like someone who's at the conference, I just heard like 12 speakers over two days. I like all their ideas. How am I gonna implement them? Okay, so what that means, the mistake that people make when they're presenting is they sell on the idea rather than the urgency. Mm. Maybe, let me say that maybe a little better. Instead of the thesis of your talk being an idea, the thesis should be more, you need to prioritize my idea. I think the reason why this happens, like, and this is coming from someone who used to teach communication classes. Back when you took communication classes in college, I don't know, I had a persuasive speech to give. And when I taught public speaking, I had students give a persuasive speech and People persuaded me that I should eat less fast food or I should exercise or marijuana should be legal. I live in Oregon, so that was a popular one. (laughs) It is out here near DC too. So (laughs) Right. So when you're in class, you get a good grade for that. Like if you did a good job persuading, you get a good grade. The problem is when you get into the business world, there are two hundred good ideas that you're sure. Think of your own inbox right now. You said you read Seth Godin's emails almost every time. That means you prioritize his over other people's. Mm-hmm. When you're speaking at a conference, or this is true in the business world too, but specifically at a conference, you're actually competing with the other ideas that are at that conference. So long way to say, I would encourage people to think of it more like this needs to be a priority and less like this is a good idea. 
And I think, I mean, I'm just thinking about my own presentation and, and what I'm speaking on are basically relationships and how that's the most important thing in building a business. And I think that's one of the things that I'm struggling with right now is turning that corner from here's the idea of relationships. And yeah. I think that's a pretty easy pill for people to swallow. I think that I have a little, uh, I have to do a little work on, I think it's one of those ideas people could easily roll their eyes at and be like, okay, yeah, of course, let's, you know, right. we want to be nice to people and whatever, you know? <laughs> so how do you turn the corner and make it practical for people in a way that they go home and they implement it? Yep. And that, what you just did right there is another uh, I don't know if this is a mistake people make, but it's certainly something that you should consider doing in a talk. Okay, so if you can sense how the audience would resist it, mm -hmm. I would consider at least saying that resistance out loud. Yeah, okay, that's great. So in your talk, you might actually say, oh, okay, you're probably thinking, oh, cool, another talk about being nice to people. <laughs> I get it, right? Like say that out loud Yeah. and then counter it. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. And this is going to be such a fun episode. And we're planning on doing a second episode where we go back and dissect my presentation, which is probably going to be just so gut-wrenching for me. But we're going to do it because I think it's the way to grow. I think it's going to be also revealing for other people who are working on similar things. So we have so far the mistake being selling the idea rather than the urgency. So how we can implement or how can we get people to implement what we're talking about? How can we get people to prioritize our idea? And then what you just said, saying the resistance out loud, especially if you think people are definitely thinking that. Yes. Like if you're presenting on something that is true, accurate, but might feel basic to the audience, mm -hmm. call that feeling out. Yeah. I think that's going to be one of the resistance. The, one of the objections that people come up with is that maybe it does feel a little bit basic, but I can't tell you how many people, you know, if they implement this, it ends up in changing their business. You know, totally. and I can't wait to share some of these statistics. And I'm going to do it in a way this time. So I interview pretty much everybody that I've inter interviewed on the podcast. A lot of these people are going to be speakers at this conference coming up. And it is just so revealing, I think, the results of this survey in just the importance of relationships and stuff like that. But, anyways, go on. So we have prioritizing the idea, saying the resistance out loud. What else? Yeah. I think most people treat a presentation as if it is a lecture. Mm. And what you should actually treat it as, I'm going to give you a pick here, just depending on how you're wired. You should actually treat a presentation as if it is a comic book or a movie. So what I mean by that, comic book or movie has a story to it. A story has illustrations to it. What most people do is, listen, you don't have to use slides in a presentation, but what most people do is the slides are either competing with you or they're your script. But like the presenters who are really going well, the slides are more like a beautiful backdrop. I really, really like that. I think that resonates a lot with me. One, being a teacher, I think I can follow into lecture mode. You this know? Happened. This and happened. also, if you listen to your podcast on the Enneagram types and speakers, just being an Enneagram 8 challenger, I feel like I can yeah. I can lean that way. And I think slides are such a tricky thing. And maybe you can speak to creating compelling slides because I think that's so true that sometimes they do compete with you. And I think I've struggled with this as well, where you know, people will be, hey, can you hold on for a second so I can like, you know, maybe copy down what's on your slide? And I think that's a great yeah. example of your slide not, you know, kind of elevating your message, but instead competing with your message so that people are paying more attention to that than maybe what you're speaking about. Right. Totally. Yeah. So if you had a slide that someone needed to write things down from, 
that's the equivalent of going to the movies and they just play the screenplay. There are no <laughs> actors, there are no visuals. Like it's just like <laughs> dot dot. Yes, we need to go in the building. You know, <laughs> sure. So that should basically never happen. If there is an instance where you're like, I just can't figure out how to, I just can't figure out a way around this. I need my audience to read this slide. Then what you should do as the presenter is you should stay silent and let the audience read the slide. Mm -hmm. Like literally prop your body, like turn and look at the slide that, so it tells the audience it's okay to read this. Quotes would be an example of when that makes sense. But for the most part, like your slides should err on the side of being visual and they should be the background to what you're saying out loud, to the story that you're telling out loud. Okay, awesome. And as far as like making slides look presentable, is there like, do they need to look pretty? You know, is that so important, right? Like, is it? It kind of depends on the presentation, right? Because studies show that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so why do people remember what's on slides? Like more often than not, it's because of visuals. Sure. So people will remember visuals better than words. They'll notice visuals before they notice words. Okay. And so but would you say, but not, yeah, not every single time. So there's obvious exceptions. Would you say that it's more important to use visuals in slides than it is to normally than it is to put words on slides? Yeah, normally. Yeah. There's some times where there's no way around it. And please mm -hmm. don't hear this the wrong way. I'm not telling you that if you're giving some quarterly update that you're putting a butterfly on the screen and you're like, well, the butterfly represents how we did in Q3. Sure. Like that is what I'm saying. But people need to be able to digest the slide really quickly while they're listening to you. If you think about what's happening in a presentation, when you present at the United Conference, you're going to have how many people in the audience? Probably, uh, I'd say 300 to 400, I think is, okay. yeah. So you're going to have 300 to 400 people in the audience who all have their own problems, who have their own things that they're distracted by. And you're asking all of them to tune out those distractions. You're asking them to forget how long they've been sitting there already. You're asking them to forget how hot or cold it is in the room. Asking them to forget that they have to go to the bathroom. You're asking them to forget all that stuff. You're asking them to listen to what you're saying out loud. You're asking them to process what is on the slide. You're asking them to merge what's going through their head with what you're saying out loud to connect how what Davey's saying would actually help me. Like that is a lot of stuff. Sure. Create slides that have a bunch of words on them that take the audience longer than two seconds to process. You're asking your audience not to listen to you. Sure. I mean, think about that for a second, right? So the average human speaks somewhere 130 to 150 words a minute. 150 is going to make the math easier. So 150 words a minute. And let's say that you've got a bunch of words on the slide and it takes me five seconds to read through that. So what's well, 150 divided by 12? <laughs> Whatever that is. My point here is what I think that's, that's like 12 or 13 words a minute, right? Or that's 12 or 13 words that they would miss. Let me make that point clearer. Absolutely. Think about the average human being speaks between 130 and 150 words a minute. Okay. Let's say you've got a slide that is requiring the audience to look at it for about five seconds to understand the point. Not uncommon that people do that, by the way. Okay. So 150 words a minute, you are asking them to not pay attention to five seconds worth of those words. Like that's a full sentence. Yeah. You can't just give away sentences. Like, what's the point of presenting if you're going to repeatedly do that? And by the way, that's going to be true for people who have beautiful photography. It might not take five seconds, but if you've got beautiful photography and you're going to like click to it and show off your photography, 
totally fine. But I would encourage you to just take a second, let the audience marvel at it. You might even say out loud, like, I want to show you, like, I'm really proud of this next photo. Click. Like, let people absorb it for a second. Most people don't do that because it feels weird and it feels weird to not be talking. Yeah. By not giving people time to process it, they're not listening to you. And then who knows what that does to the rest of your presentation because, you know, maybe that sentence was important to the greater point there. And so now they're playing catch up for sure. But I mean, I think that's definitely, and especially just some of the topics that I've had to speak about in the past, which can sometimes be very technical. I've definitely struggled with that. You know, how do I get this point across and give people directions and use slides to help doing that? without those slides distracting. I've definitely had instances where I can tell, okay, nobody's listening to me right now. They're looking at this this slide, which has a tutorial and they're trying to think, okay, right. where in WordPress or show it yeah. or Squarespace do I do this? You know, where in Facebook ads manager do I do this? And so that's definitely been a challenge for me as well. Yeah, that's a great example. So it's like if you show screenshots of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like I need a huge red arrow that points to what needs to be clicked on. Yeah. And I need to let the audience see it for a second. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I don't think, and a lot of times I'm just trying to shove so much into that hour that yeah. it's like, you know, nonstop. And I'm usually finding myself apologizing in the beginning, like, and I talk fast naturally, like that's just who I am. So that combined with some of these slides, not sometimes a good recipe. I need to be recorded so that people can go back and fast forward and, and rewind and stuff. And that is, that's such a natural <laughs> thing to do because for you, you already know this stuff. And this is one of the things when you're presenting, like you're the expert already. Yeah. You know it inside and out. You might not feel like the expert, but you wouldn't be asked to present if you weren't. So to you, it's really easy to be like, okay, well, you go up the file and then you click here and you click here and you click here. And if you're in the audience, you're like, wait, hold on. What? You do need to think about like, what is the experience like for the audience? Yeah. I want to get to some of this other stuff. If you have some other points that you definitely want to share about, I want to get to that as well. I do want to say that that's just off that point and being the expert. I think sometimes I forget how much I know. You know, I think this is probably true for anybody in their field. So I struggle, I think, and get really caught up in like, oh, you know, this sounds like, this sounds really basic. Nobody's going to find this interesting. And so I make it either more advanced or more complicated than it needs to be. And then realize, no, actually, you know, people didn't know this and I really should have started here. Do you find that? I mean, because you've worked with some just incredibly talented, intelligent people. Do you find that people struggle with that when giving a presentation? It's Yeah, absolutely. It's funny because there are, I don't want to say who this is, but there was one person in particular where, you know how I described like if Seth Godin called him one of my help, he'd be like, uh, okay, I guess. <laughs> what am I going to teach you? Like there was someone like that. And yes. So first of all, yes, there is that feeling. Sometimes people get lucky that they're good at something. They don't know why. Mm-hmm. So a checklist to go through is always helpful. The times where I've been a little intimidated by the people I've helped, one of the things I try to remind myself is like, even if this were someone who is really good, they're going to benefit from having a second brain working on it. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a big benefit of a coach in general is the outside perspective. I had a mentor once, he compared it to uh, the Knights of the Round Table and talking about how one of the most important characters at the Knights of the Round Table was the court jester. And I thought this was fascinating, but it was because the court jester could poke fun at things like everybody else. When when you're inside an organization, sometimes it's hard to see how outrageous an idea is. It's like the emperor's new clothes. You know, it took the little kid for him to be like, hey, yeah, he's naked, you know, 
And so it was this really interesting illustration where you have the Knights of Roundtable and you have the court jester and he's actually one of the most important characters there because he's the one that's going to poke fun at something and say, you know, that's not right. You know, like he's the outside perspective. And so he can kind of speak in, you know, he can call out these ideas. And so he's not necessarily, I think this is where a coach differs from the jester as a coach can step in and say, hey, I don't think that's quite right. And maybe here are some suggestions for getting here. So the court jester is not going to necessarily do that second part, but he's going to say, hey, that is an outrageous, that was just an absolutely outrageous, silly idea, you know, and they're going to bring that to light. But you know what, frankly, you don't necessarily need your outside advisor to solve for you. Sure. Like sometimes just drawing up like, hey, this is a problem. I don't Mm -hmm. know how to solve it, but you think this is clear and it's not. Yeah. Like sometimes that is valuable enough. 100%. 100%. I mean, you know, again, I think the uh, great example of that is the emperor's new clothes, you know, and this emperor walking around naked and it, you know, he just, Everybody just needed to hear this kid say, hey, he's naked, you know, <laughs> for everybody to understand what the issue is. So, what else? Are there a okay. few other things that uh, we're missing here? Yeah. Let me give, I'll give two content things and then two delivery things. Okay. Two content things, two delivery things. Yep. Content thing, number one, most people hem and haw at the beginning of their talk. And the reason why they're doing that is because it's weird to get on a stage and start talking. So, a lot of people will start. And it'll sound like this. It'll be like, hey, I'm Davey. I'm in here from Columbia, Maryland. Wow, mm-hmm. it's great to be in Phoenix. The weather's so much nicer here. Oh, man, I'm glad I haven't run into any scorpions. <laughs> so first of all, hopefully you have better jokes than that. But the point here is most people don't take advantage of the beginning. And the beginning is like when you have the audience's attention. Definitely in the first sentence, right? Who knows where they were going to be in the last sentence, but the first sentence, yeah. Okay. First sentence, you have the audience's attention. So push them into the pool. Mm-hmm. I obsess about what that first sentence is going to be. And we haven't got there yet. And this is one of the really? interesting things about the process so far for me. And I think it's been really hard for me is that we're currently working on the middle of the talk right, right. now. So I don't write things in sequential order. Most people do. Yeah. And I think it's in the past, I've really, I've always started from the beginning, you know, so it's been right. difficult for me to come back. So I'm excited to get back there, but I can see having done a first draft now, why you start in the middle. Right. And then similarly, send the audience on their way with something positive. So the the conclusion or the outro needs to give some level of inspiration. So it doesn't have to be like Martin Luther King, free at last, free at last. (laughs) But it should be some picture of like how much better their life could look if they were to take your idea and apply it with urgency or priority. Most endings have trouble because most people write in sequential order. What's the last thing that you write is the ending. The ending is when you're tired and you hate the speech. So you're like, okay, so as you see, if you ask better questions, you will book more clients. Thank you. <laughs> That's most people's endings. This is one of the reasons why I love that Seth Godin one. Like, and he got this rousing applause, and it's partially because of Seth Godin, but it's also because like that story was perfect. It left the audience thinking about, am I going to be the type of person who lets other people make decisions for me and gets to blame other people? Or am I going to take the step and be my own person? Perfect. So push the audience into the pool and then send them on their way. Feeling inspired might be the wrong word, but feeling some positive limiting beliefs are being challenged. Yeah. Okay. I I love that. So push them into the pool, send them on their way. Was that second piece the second content piece or is there uh, another content piece? That's the second content piece. Okay, awesome. I think we came up with one other one there. So 2A or 1A or 
Zero A is don't write in sequential order. Don't yeah, don't write in sequential order. Awesome. I have so many notes. <laughs> <laughs> Delivery. I'm gonna give one specific tactic and then one that's more of an overall vibe. Okay. Specific tactic. I think we've talked about this. Most people, and this is especially true if you were telling a story, most people, okay, so if I were transcribing the way that most people speak, it would be one long paragraph with like two periods for a 20-minute talk. (laughs) Because most people, the way they speak, do not end sentences. This is how most people talk. So I woke up today, I went downstairs, and Barkley was awake already, so I got him out of his crate, and then... I went and I fed him and then we went in the backyard. And so the next thing we did, right? So do you hear how there are no periods in those sentences? Yeah. I'm subbing in, I'm doing a find and replace, but it's a dumb find and replace. I'm doing a find the period and I'm replacing it with and, but, so it would also a be- comma at best. Yeah, right. So end your sentences. That's harder to do than it is for me to say. It helped me to actually visualize someone with a keyboard typing out what I was saying. And I desperately wanted people to put a period at the end of a sentence. And I imagine that's something that's like pretty common for people. And just having taught high school students, especially, and watching them give presentations, even stuff that they're reading, which is really interesting, just blowing through periods. And so I wonder if it's just like, maybe it's a little bit of nervousness just being up there or... You know, I'm not really sure. So what's this other tactic that's more of a overall? Yeah, the overall vibe of a presentation, as best you can get there. Your talk should sound to the audience as if it's a friend who has thought through what they're talking about and is simply delivering it to you. So there are exceptions to this. For the most part, it should be pretty conversational. It should feel like, oh, this is a friend. They're making jokes with me. Oh, they thought that through. They're really smart at this. Like That's how it should feel. It shouldn't feel like it's this, again, there are exceptions, but for the most part, it shouldn't feel like this really buttoned up, this person is completely robotic. That's not how it should feel. I think this is something that I'm currently struggling with with this presentation. And it's sort of ironic because I think breakout presentations I've done, presentations yeah. that I've done on more technical topics I naturally fall back into being more conversational and relational. Even as a teacher, I was like that. And maybe it's finding comfort in some of these technical presentations that I've done in the past where, you know, I mean, like it's easy to poke fun at something like SEO or Facebook ads or, you know, some sort of subject, which, you know, you're trying to bring to life a little bit. Also just the setting as well. I mean, a lot of stuff that I've done at conferences you know, I've done some main stage stuff, but a lot of it has been breakouts and it's classroom setting and it's, you know, 30 to 50 people. And I just feel at home, you know, like I'm back in the classroom. And so I think one of the things that I'm overthinking right now is being up on the main stage in front of, you know, 400 or so people and thinking that maybe it has to be a little bit more buttoned up as if I'm giving a long Ted talk or something like that. Yeah, no, and it doesn't. And what's interesting about that. So I wonder if part of it is when you do breakout sessions, is it two-way so people can ask you questions? Yeah, it's two-way. And I actually encourage it during breakout sessions. You know, hey, but, guys, do you, if you have a question about if you need me to clarify something, stop me and ask me, you know. And I don't let it slow me down, but it's very much like question. And, and I, you know, I have a lot of fun with that, I think. Whereas with the keynote, it's like 
I'm 99% sure for this one in particular that there's no questions and answers afterwards, you know? Yeah, it would be great if there were. And it'd be great if I could just be like, hey, can, can they ask me questions during this? <laughs> right? It, it just This is just a big breakout, right? But yeah, and so I think that's one of the things that I've just, I've psyched myself out a little bit. So there are a couple of things at play there. So number one, there are some presenters who uh, just don't want to put, I don't know if it's they don't want to put time into it, but there's some presenters who have decided they would rather not present and they'd rather have a straight Q&A. So authors who go on a book tour and they don't present anything, they don't read anything, it's straight Q&A. That is an option for people. I would encourage you to think through whether you're actually better at that versus it's just easier, but that is an option for people. I think for a lot, like what you're describing, Davey, is actually pretty common. Some things that are helpful, number one, you don't need to literally ask a question out loud, but imagine the audience were asking you questions. So this next part, what question would the audience ask? And I'm going to answer it. Yeah. Again, that doesn't have to be you narrating by saying, so you might say, you might ask, blah, 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 but you can do it that way. And that's helpful. But I think for a lot of people, you know, I just gave the advice. It should sound like a friend is delivering to you. That also means that you as the presenter need to think of the audience as if they are friends. Yeah. And, and if you do that, it's a lot easier to be conversational and funny and all those things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, again, a lot of it, and this is sort of one of those intangible things that no one probably has like a, well, you know, this is the step-by-step -step to fix this. It's right, just right. like, it's just like you said, and I think I shared this at the beginning of the podcast, but you know, I texted you from a coffee shop that I was working at, or maybe this is a conversation we had before the podcast started, but, and I was like worked up and I was like, this I'm, oh, yeah. I'm getting nowhere in this presentation. I've started and restarted like a thousand times. And you were like, dude, just relax, you know, like take the pressure off, which Krista loved because Krista like had told me that like five minutes prior. And she's like, why do you listen to him? Like I told you the same thing, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know if you've ever had that experience with your wife where your wife's like, I told, I literally told you the same thing. But I think a lot of it comes down to that. And, you know, that's one of the things I'm realizing. And your other podcast episodes that you've done, uh, again, I'll post these in the show notes, typology and story brand. One of the things that you emphasized was just to have fun with it. Yeah. And I know, you know, even as I was working on it mentally, I was like, I need to just have fun with this. And right now, you know, in the midst of it, <laughs> maybe not having fun right. with it. It's tough to have fun when you're sitting there being a self-critic and yeah. you really know everything yet. So there's actually like, I say have fun to people as an encouragement. Most people can't just do that just because I said that. For most people, you can have fun if you know what you're talking about, if you can settle yourself down, and you know that the audience is rooting for you. Like Those three yeah. things help you to have fun. Yeah, absolutely. And I know a ton of people at this conference. This is a conference that I've been presenting at for the last few years now, and so I should feel that way. You know, yeah. it's very much one of my favorite conferences because I get to go and see a lot of friends. And I think actually that's kind of the culture of the conference is that it's very much about the relationships there. And so that's why people come back every single year. I mean, sure, there's some great content, but it's a lot of being able to reconnect with people and, and make new friends and stuff. So definitely there's no excuse for not being able to get into that mindset. I love it. But that's what's going to be even better when you give the best presentation of your life. And they're mm -hmm. like, dude, that was incredible. Yep, that I hope so. Friends is the best. So I want to end here just by asking if there are three things. And so this is kind of, this is unscripted here. Not that any of this other stuff was scripted. So I don't say why I'd say this, but I do send over a brief outline. But if there were three things that I need to focus on during this presentation, during this next presentation that I'm going to give, what should they be? And we can revisit these three things after I give the presentation on this next podcast episode that we do, kind of grading whether I've done them or not. 
So hold on, I'm actually answering this for you, right? Like, yeah, it, for it, me. It, so this is the actual presentation. I think this will be helpful for other people listening, giving presentations as well. But this way, you know, when I have you on for a second time and we're going back and we're looking at this presentation you've helped me with and you're giving me feedback, we can say, ah, Davey, you know, we talked about this and this was a B minus. Yep, totally. Okay, yeah. number one, have fun for sure. Number two, use suspense or tension or surprise, whatever word feels best to you. Mm -hmm. Those two things for sure. And number three, be comfortable. We haven't talked about this on this podcast, but be comfortable being present with your audience. So I know talking about presence is really cool and mindfulness is really cool. Sure. What I actually mean here is you don't have to be walking the whole time. Feel comfortable standing still. You don't have to be talking the whole time. Feel comfortable pausing. If you can be present with your audience, that is going to be the biggest win for you. And it will feel awesome because yep. great presenters are present with their audience. And people who are less than great, not so much. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm excited to uh, continue leaning into these things with you over the next month as you know we lead up to this presentation. And I thank you for your time. This is one of our longer episodes, but I think it's just full of great stuff. I want to call attention to a few things, and I'll probably include this in the uh, introduction as well. You have a great ebook. Tell us about that. Oh, so I'll give two actually. So if you're into the Enneagram, which you're not required to be, but it's kind of cool these days, I do have an ebook that's public speaking for the Enneagram. So that's at my site. So my site is miketalks.co. I used to use my last name, but nobody can spell it. So. People can spell the word. It's talks. such a great name, though. Pacquiao. Yeah, you should be in like the mafia or something. But like my actual friends leave out letters in my last name, so <laughs> that's not the best for a business. So MikeTalks.co is my website. If you want the uh, ebook on public speaking, the Enneagram, so that's MikeTalks.co/slash/enneagram. I've got another one that I love. It's somewhat similar to some of the tips in this podcast. So again, like every fast company, Forbes Inc.com article uh, lists the same things to be a good presenter. Those things are good, but I wanted to give stuff that was beyond that. So I wrote a book, an ebook called Seven Stealth Presenting Tips They Didn't Teach You in Business School. All right. Awesome. And I will link to both of these things in the show notes. So if you're interested in downloading one or both of those ebooks, head on over to the show notes, click the link there, and we'll get you uh, squared away with those. Mike, again, thank you for taking time. In addition to the time that you've already taken with me working on uh, my presentation and sharing some of your thoughts around presenting today. And I'm excited to have you back on so that we can you know, grade my presentation. Now pressure's on, buddy. That's right. That's right. I'm putting but it out there. But it's also not because you're going to do great. Okay. Well, yeah, I've, pressure's like, still yeah, on. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's nice. I appreciate you saying that, but thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks for tuning in to the Brands That Book Show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing and leaving a review in iTunes. For show notes and other resources, head on over to deviancrista.com. 